You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. It's Tuesday, the 28th of June. It's a cool, breezy, unseasonably so morning here in TW11. And the wind has blown us the news that the white paper in the gambling review is not too far away. Indeed, we expect this white paper to be announced within the next fortnight. Uh, that's what Whitehall sources are telling the Nick Luck Daily Podcast this morning. Neil Channing is a professional gambler and gambling analyst. You'll have seen him on my Luck on Sunday program many times, as well as in much more illustrious places than that. And he is perhaps the keenest follower of what's happening here and the political process therein. Neil, we're getting close, aren't we? Well, actually, I spoke to two industry insiders this morning, and one of them said that he would bet even money that we didn't see it next week, the white paper. Uh, and the other one said he, he thought it was massive odds on we saw it in the next fortnight. So I guess uh, a week on Monday would be perfect. Yeah, that's they can the, both win. That's the message that I'm getting from from my sources as well. Well, the, the, the other thing is that the parliamentary recess, they go for their summer holiday, these MPs, on the 22nd of July. Uh, so they, you know, they're not going to do much the last week before then. They haven't got long to get it in before the summer. And if they don't get it in before the summer, uh, the autumn schedule is really packed and uh, people are saying, well, if they don't do it before the summer, it could be after Christmas. Yeah, my understanding is that there is a right round in process as we speak, which is where having effectively agreed what they're going to propose, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport will then write round to all the other Whitehall departments saying, this is what we want to do. What do you want to say about this? And so they see if they get any pushback from the Treasury or any pushback from the Department of Health or whatever. And then once they finish that and they expect that right round to be finished by next week, then they've got about another week to, to kick on. So I would imagine a fortnight is, is looking like the, the correct schedule. What we gather at the moment is it might look something like this, that an independent ombudsman will be proposed. There will be a, a ban on Premier League shirt logos and that there will be a code on advertising in sports sponsorship, but exactly the form of that, we're not quite sure what that'll take. And obviously that's quite germane to, to racing. Yeah, on those three, uh, the shirt ban on football seems like a bit of a no-brainer. I haven't ever spoken to anyone that really disagrees with that. That, that just seems like an easy one for them to bring in without too much uh, running into too much political pressure. Independent ombudsman, a few people were talking last week about the possibility the industry was trying to lobby to say, well, we have IBAS. Why don't we just give them more power and make them into a bigger thing and fund them properly? And a lot of the gambling reformers were like, oh, hang on, we don't like the sound of that. IBAS is a bookie run operation. So independent ombudsman, I guess that would be seen as a slight win for the reformers. Um, and then the, uh, the code on sports sponsorship. Well, that's a bit messy, isn't it? I mean, it seems very subjective. How do you decide if you say, for example, well, we don't want uh, youth culture type people to be involved in the advertising of gambling? Well, you know, how do you decide? I mean, I like to think of myself as quite youth culture, uh, but, you know, maybe some people would interpret me as more of an old fuddy-duddy. I don't know. Uh, as far as max stake sizes on, on online slot machines, 
uh, it looks as though there's going to be a proposal to to bring those in line with land-based uh, entities. So yeah, two two pound on online slots and a fiver on casino. Um, nobody in the industry is going to rail against that. I think that was totally baked in. Everybody just expected that to happen. I mean, the more contentious issue is is free bet promotions, and and that is what is gaining the most media traction at the moment on both sides of the argument. And uh, there's a big ed- editorial in the Sun today, which has said, come on, Tory government, you're not a Labour government. This isn't the nanny state. This is a sledgehammer to crack a nut. It taught me through the political significance of that leader, in your opinion. I mean, there is a, the whole gambling debate is quite interesting from a sort of uh, libertarian versus authoritarian point of view. You know, traditionally, left-wing governments interfere in your life more and right-wing governments you know, have less legislation, which, you know, has its pros and cons. But we have people like Ian Duncan Smith, who's pretty much, you know, I think it'd be fair to say on the on the more right-wing side of the, the Tory party. And he, he basically thinks gambling should be abolished altogether. Um, whereas other people, uh, you know, who are on the left of the Labour Party think that all this kind of stuff is an attack on the working class, you know, that... Uh, uh, people are quite free to gamble on stocks and shares or whatever, which is traditionally something done by uh, more kind of upper class people. Whereas, you know, going and having a lucky 15 on the horses on a Saturday and watching it on TV is a, a working class occupation. So there, there are interesting kind of splits, uh, you know, within the whole debate. Uh, but I do think politically, it comes down to this Chris Phil, you know, he was given this job because he was considered to be quite a safe pair of hands. Uh, he's, a, he's generally a Boris Johnson loyalist. Um, I think people thought that he was someone in the past that's always been on top of his brief. Uh, and I think he's starting to... Uh, the, the shine is starting to wear off of Chris mm-hmm. Philp a little bit at the moment. Now, partly that is because of the constant delays to the white paper, um, uh, the, the recent delays are probably not really his fault. My understanding is he's been told... Uh, during the whole party gate, maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, he was told, look, you know, you've got to sit on it for a while. We don't need anything controversial. We're trying to get over these problems within the Tory party. Uh, and now he's being told, well, come on, what the hell's going on? Let, let's get on with this. Yeah. People are starting to write letters in and moan at us. Uh-huh. Uh, and the free bets thing is, you're right, it's kind of some of the more sort of libertarian wing of the Tory party are going to the Murdoch press to, to try and put pressure uh, on Philp to, to sort of not interfere in people's lives. Of course, the other thing that I'm finding immensely amusing is that, and uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, listeners to Nick Luck Daily probably saw, uh, Chris Philp basically got his ass handed to him, didn't he, by uh, everyone's uh, latest hero, uh, Mick Lynch. Lynch. Uh, and it would be if you're, if you're listening, If you're listening uh, from, from, and you're, you're not paying close attention to British politics at the moment in any other part of the world. Mick Lynch is the um, uh, uh, RMT boss, the, the uh, rail union boss who uh, had all the, the journalists and politicians for breakfast last week, every day. Yeah, he'd done, he done a whole bunch of media interviews and it was the first time anyone had sort of challenged the media ever uh, in terms of just speaking their mind and, and not taking any nonsense, basically. And Chris Philp, uh, was was in a sort of head-to-head interview with him, uh, and Mick Lynch called him a liar something like 23 times or something. And Chris Phil basically it went viral on social media, and Chris Phil 
definitely lost a lot of political capital in that moment. So I do think it'd be kind of amusing if left-wing firebrand union boss Mick Lynch uh, saves the gambling industry because now Chris Philp feels like he can't do anything controversial in this white paper. And it, it could have an effect on the free bets thing and also on the affordability. That's the key point, the affordability uh, checks and how that's going to impact punters on on horse racing if we're talking about this particular uh, podcast and this topic relative to the sport that that our audience is is most interested in. How do you think this is going to play? I would put it to you from what I understand, not not as adversely as some people feared. Yeah, I mean, originally when we started talking about it, the Think Tank Social Market Foundation had recommended that people depositing more than £100 a month into any kind of gambling account would have to have strict affordability checks, sending in a P60, sending in six months bank statements, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that That is trading at more than a 1,000 to 1 in my mythical Betfair market on this. There's no chance of £100 being the threshold. I spoke to an industry insider this morning and he, he said to me he'd like to bet uh, over 1,200. He could see it being 1,500 or more. Um, there's also a possibility, uh, I think people are suggesting that um, the kind of checks that will be done will, will be less intrusive. So it'll be a lot more, uh, you know, doing a kind of credit score check on you in the background, making sure you've got no CCJs or you're not an undischarged bankrupt, that kind of thing, rather than the onus on you to send in copious amounts of paperwork. So that's a possibility. There's also a possibility that the checks will only be for new customers or for people under the age of 25, uh, or possibly uh, existing customers will be grandfathered. You know, They won't have to do it if they've had an account for more than X amount of time. I think politically, what is likely to happen is that Chris Phil is going to quite rightly recognise the affordability as the biggest can of worms in the whole thing, but he's under pressure to get the white paper out. So I could see a situation where he writes the white paper and says that affordability is something he would like to see come in, that it's a very difficult issue, it, it's quite nuanced, it needs a lot of looking at. And he's going to put the responsibility of deciding how the rules on affordability uh, are written and how they'll be enforced onto the Gambling Commission. So effectively, he'll get his white paper out, but he'll kick the affordability slightly down the road. And the Gambling Commission will have, I don't know, maybe six months to come up with something uh, on how the affordability will work. Now, whether you think that's a good thing, because uh, there would be a fairly widely held view in the industry that the Gambling Commission are useless and don't know anything about gambling. Um, that might be a problem if they're going to have to write that, that, you know, the rules on that. But I think if I was Chris Phil, and I'm a bit of a political escapologist, that might be a good way to get out of a mess. All right, that that was Neil Channing. This is Rishi Passad. Uh, Rishi, before we get into the racing today, uh, I I want to get your thoughts briefly on this. It looks as though we're heading towards the, this white paper very very soon. Uh, and if it gets deferred any longer, it's it's just going to be embarrassing, isn't it? I would assume that uh, everyone wants to get this done and dusted within the next couple of weeks. Um, if it does go beyond uh, the next couple of weeks, then the likelihood is that it, it could be a long time before we get to the end of this very long and worrying road, I have to say, because it has hung over the sport like the sword of Damocles for such a long time now about what is going to happen. Two, two of the major issues for, for me have been obviously the affordability checks, you know, and hopefully the white paper won't uh, ultimately 
be the sledgehammer cracking the nut. And the other point that would affect the sport quite a significant uh, amount would be, you know, the the suggested advertising policies that are, are going to come into force. So those two issues, affordability checks and advertising, hugely important for the sustainability of the sport. I think the affordability checks is one that hopefully has slightly brightened up over the last few weeks, the last few months, from where we were uh, when we started talking about this in, in recent times. I think there was a lot of worry about black markets and the fact that affordability checks would send uh, punters into that direction. It seems slightly more positive now than it has been a while back. But we, we, you know, we'll, we'll wait in hope. And we also wait in hope that it's going to come to a head sooner rather than later. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we will get answers to the amount of questions that we've all been waiting for. We're turning our attentions to the racing, and this week we're building towards the Coral Eclipse at Sandown Park on Saturday. As we expected yesterday, the French derby winner, the British Jockey Club winner, Vadeni, has been supplemented for the race. He is favourite in most lists as well to defeat not only the Irish 2000 Guineas winner, 2000 Guineas runner-up and champion juvenile native trail, but also Sir Michael Stout's star older horse, Bay Bridge, and a whole host of household names. Rishi, this is a an eclipse potentially potentially for for the ages exciting it really is uh should the principal horses line up vadeni was mightily impressive uh in winning the french derby at Chanty. native trail i think he's been really good this season I'm surprised, actually, about some of the criticism that he's had. People have, one or two people, have suggested he hasn't trained on. I mean, he's finished runner-up in a Guineas, won an Irish Guineas. Uh, of course, he won his comeback race as well. Um, and he was the champion juvenile. I, I think he's had a pretty good season already. And then you've highlighted the likes of Bay Bridge and a real world, you know, when you look at the, the anti-post market and the fact that, you know, a horse of the calibre of Mishrif, uh, Alan Kerr, Lord North are, you know, eight to one or bigger, uh, you have an idea of the strength and depth for this year's Coral Eclipse. Just talking about real world, yesterday on this podcast, I interviewed his trainer, Saeed bin Sarur. I asked him about real world. I said, is Danny Tudhope going to ride him? And he said, very likely he is, yes. Then I asked him in the next question, uh, his thoughts on Frankie Dottori and he said I'm backing him definitely like to give him a few rides said you know we'll wait until near a declaration time but you know I'd like to to, to put him on horses now slightly different um, sentiments expressed in an interview with the Racing Post later uh, but he just went a tiny bit further saying he'll leave it till declaration time to decide who would ride real world so just half opening the door to the idea mm. that, that Frankie might get a big race ride. But he did say it's very likely Danny Tudho would ride to me this time yesterday, Rish. What do you make of all that? Well, it's hard to, hard to be certain. I mean, Danny Tudho's got a pretty good record on Real World. He won on him at Maidan earlier this year. And the only horse that's beaten Real World and Danny Tudho has been Baid in the Lockinge and in, in the Queen Anne. Um, I think it'd be pretty harsh if Frankie got on board. However, as we've seen, it is entirely up to trainers and owners to decide what they want to do. So if they decide they want Frankie Vittori on board, you know, Frankie has won on the horse before. Um, and I think Frank, this was going to be Frankie's World Cup ride. I mm. think Real World was going to be Frankie's Dubai World Cup ride. Frankie rode him in uh, the Saudi Cup. And then I think things didn't quite pan out. And then Christoph Sumio has obviously got a good record for Saeed in the Dubai World Cup, got on board. But didn't bother Frankie because he still went on to win the race. Um, 
it's it's a hard one to be absolutely adamant of of who's going to get it. But you know, if Frankie was on board, real world in the coral eclipse, it would add a slightly more exciting element to the whole setup. Though, if Danny Duddock was taken off, it would yeah. be a little bit harsh on him. The, the interesting, the interesting thing here, and it may be very boring for a lot of people, is that you're going to have to suck it up now for the next two or three months. Every time there's a big race, people will be speculating <laughs> as to which horse he might hop on. Yeah, well, there's, there's, you know, there's a battle for the horses that he might ride, and there's also a little bit of a battle for the horses that he had ridden. I mean, you know, obviously, we've seen the likelihood is that I think James Dawes is going to ride Lord North. Then we have the prospect of Emily Upjohn and Stradivarius coming up and who will ride them. You know, there's a lot of uh, jockeys merry-go-round about to ensue. And just as much as Frankie's a part of it, he's also not going to be a part of, of that for some horses. So it, it's going to be quite an interesting time. I, I think, to be honest, Lucky, I think it adds to the excitement of the season. This whole element of the dottori gosden split it's, it's added a bit more interest in what was already a fascinating season. Uh, I quite enjoy it as a viewer. You're not saying that in, in a ghoulish way. You're saying it because no. it just spices everything up a bit. Uh, absolutely. And in every sport, you know, as much as we all talk about sportsmanship, good behaviour, etc., there have, a, have been occasions when there's a little bit of an edge, a little bit of something to prove that adds to adds to the element you know if, you know whatever sport it is you quite like a little bit of you know a, a bit of a bristling edge to some elements of it and with Frank Dettori and John Gosden and Teddy Gosden the split um that's ha- added a bit of bristle to Frank Dettori's season I think and he's got something to prove and when it's someone of his ilk with something to prove it should be quite exciting viewing I want to talk about Bay Bridge because I'm surprised it's taken you this long to mention him uh, given <laughs> given your your slavish following of the Sir Michael Stout stable, who incidentally, and I'm not really a big one for this type of. Here thing. we go. What were you? What would you? Do you know what I'm going to say? Well, go on. Well, go on. Well, he hasn't what? had. It, yeah, he hasn't, had... hasn't <laughs> had a winner since. <laughs> Does it crown? Well, it's twenty. It's it's no. It's it's not quite that long. But it's fifteen days and twenty one runs. I mean, okay. I, as I say, I'm not really a, a slavish devotee of this sort of thing. He's had plenty of horses run well enough. Yes, so I mean, absolutely, he has. He's had a, a number of horses go close. A number of horses finish second, including dear old Bay Bridge and the uh, the Prince of Wales at uh, at Royal Ascot. <laughs> I mean, uh, personally given the fact that I think he's had quite a few horses finish runner-up, suggests that he's not far off the mark. And in fairness, you know, Baybridge, if you deal in, in isolation with Baybridge, he's had a wonderful season so far, winning at Sandown, run, running a really good race at Ascot behind uh, State of Rest. So in isolation, Baybridge is a, is a huge player. The only question I have is whether Baybridge can concede weight to the likes of Vidani and Native Trail. You know, it's that time of the season where the three-year-olds... Uh, I feel will will have the edge. I said yesterday I was fully expecting Ryan Moore to ride Baybridge. I know there are Ballydoyle horses in the race, Stone mm. Age, Acal, and High Definition, but I think one of those would have to produce a spectacular piece of work or or show their well being really strikingly for Aiden to 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 come over and and take on such a deep group of horses and insist that Ryan Moore should should ride them. Yeah, I've, I was wondering about. I mean, uh, if High Definition came over considering that he you know he's obviously considered obviously he ran such a, a good race in in uh, in ireland tannisaw's uh, gold cup if he were to come over i didn't think it was ridiculous that ryan would ride him 
Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're Ryan Moore, you want to be on Bay Bridge, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, and of the O'Briens, presumably he would he would ride Stone Age. He's the shortest price one, though. A Cal was very is impressive. He, is he going to run? In, I didn't know whether he was definitely going to run in it, but uh, we can, I don't. Th- I don't think they will. I don't. I don't think those horses will run. They've got alternative mm. engagements, haven't they? Stone Age could go to America, yeah. and yeah, and A Cal only ran at the weekend. And high definition, as you say, would be a big outsider. So um, my feeling at the moment is that that Ryan will ride Bay Bridge. Yeah, although if you're Richard Kingscott, you're keeping your, everything cross. Uh, indeed. Uh, <laughs> Or maybe Frankie Dottori, who knows? Anyway, uh, what we do know is that Christophe <laughs> Sumion will ride Vidani. Are we overcomplicating it? This horse was so impressive in the Prix de Jockey Club. Uh, he's the three-year-old getting weight. It, doesn't he just win? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to dismiss Native Trail stepping up in distance. Um, but Vidani was impressive. That, that surge, that acceleration at the end of the race to beat El Bodegon and Modern Games was very impressive. Um, but it was by some way a career best. Uh, he, for, for, for me, I just want to see him do it again. Uh, I, I think Native Trail is exciting stepping up in, in trip. Um, I've always felt personally that that's, that's going to be his thing. Ten furlongs might be uh, right up his street. If you watch the way he races, he's got that ability to quicken, uh, not, not immediately, but he's got that surge of, of speed that he can sustain for quite a while. And if he can stretch that uh, out over... 10 furlongs then I think it'd be very potent um and I and I do I I, I do take a little bit of umbrage for people who say that um he, he hasn't quite trained on he hasn't quite achieved I think he's been a wonderful horse already in his career and I think he's achieved a lot this season um and I think it's possible he could achieve a lot more stepping up in distance so um at the moment I'm, I'm obviously with the three-year-olds but I'm just siding with native trail and the fact that he's still a bit unexposed over 10 furlongs well he is unexposed over 10 furlongs and it's possible he might find some improvement for well, just scanning through the entries for this weekend, name leaps off the page outside the Coral Eclipse, and that's the one-time 2000 Guineas Hope check and challenge. It didn't work out for him in the first Colts Classic of the season, but he's back and raring to go. William Knight, his trainer, joins me now. What's the what's the update on him, William? Yeah, well, look, I couldn't be happier with him. He did a lovely bit of work on Saturday, and um, you know he's ready to run again. He, he just wasn't quite right. Um, just to ask at time, um, just a combination of things. And I just felt it was the wrong thing to do, especially running on very fast ground. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's in really good, good form. I just want to run him on, on the best sort of ground I can find. And, uh, obviously the, the, the handicap on Saturday is, 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 is the option, is an option as, as is, um, the listed race at Newmarket next week, the Henry Cecil Stakes. So I just got to sort of keep an eye on ground conditions, weather forecasts, and um, yeah, just go where the best ground I think will be. Have you got it in your mind now that he's a horse that, that needs cut in the ground, or is it simply that you want to sort of minimise the chance of, of jarring him up on his comeback run? Yeah, I think that's more. I think you know, I think safe, nice space, safe, safe ground is, is it will be fine. He doesn't have to have soft ground. Just if we can find good ground, that would be perfect. And. Andrew always does a very good job at Sandown and, uh, you know, you're hitting the rising hill there. Just Newmarket, look, training, <laughs> living in Newmarket, I know how dry it's been and I don't care how much Michael Prosser puts on there. Um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be fast ground there because, you know, it's just been so dry. I'm looking out, out into the yard now, the grass looks yellow. So, um, you know, I think it's just important after coming back from Newmarket where he was sore, but it was probably more the fact he got a knock that day in that race and, 
you know, he was particularly sore um, afterwards and uh, it's taken a long time to get him back and I just don't want to muck it up on, on, and run him on ground, which is you know, going to jar him up again. Unless we forget, before the Guineas, he was everybody's new market buzz horse and he'd been working the house down. Have you got him back to that sort of health and fitness? I felt when I saw him work on Saturday, I've got him back. Um, Chris Kavanaugh, who rides him every day, feels the same. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed. I think we're back where we were before Newcastle. Slightly under the radar, Rishi, the uh, ARC uh, Racecourse Group have boosted their prize money with new bonus schemes for summer and winter flat fixtures. It's an incentive scheme worth a million pounds in the winter, and the summer bonus scheme raises the money on offer to the winner of Class 4, 5 and 6 races. Um, It's quite interesting, this, because it's a big injection of cash. Mm. Generally, such injections of cash are are pretty well-received. As is often the case with this particular conglomerate, um, there will be those who are saying it's it's an elastoplast. It's it, it's designed to, you know, give out gifts in the short term to paper over the long term deficiencies in strategic uh, prize money overhaul. What, what's your take on it? I think. It's a, well. It, I, I understand both points of view. It's important to look at the the, the two different points of view. You know, are are finding extra money to incentivize uh, the sport, um, but ultimately, I slightly lean on the side of I'd rather not have bonus schemes, and I'd rather have better prize money across the board, and I'd rather you put the money that you are intending to allocate to bonus schemes into prize money that boosts prize money across the board um, in order to increase the health of the sport. I mean, I think that is the long-term way to sustain the sport. I don't think the long-term way to sustain the sport is with the odd injection here and there. I think a better better policy would be to uh, plan to increase the sport, increase the prize money uh, in, in the sport, um, strategically uh, over a period of time, uh, and uh, and it's important to do it in an affordable way. Um, but I don't think the odd scheme here and there is the way to to, to go forward. And I would like to see a, a little bit more thought given to improving prize money across the board as opposed to one-off hits. Of course, I agree with that final sentiment completely. The only thing I would say about the winter bonus scheme particularly is I wonder if ARC are recognising the need for... I, I know it doesn't... Class 4 horses don't sound you know, particularly amazing, but in the context of horses running through the winter, they might just be the sort of horses that could easily be leaving to um, shore up the horse population in Bahrain, Saudi, uh, and other jurisdictions where there is a, a need for horses to populate the races that they're running. And I wonder if there is a sense of, well, we need something eye-catching as well to make sure that we keep a, a horse population here so we can, we can keep running the amount of racing we want to run. I don't want to get into the, is, the whole, is there too much racing argument well, again? No. Because we could go on all day. But is that, do you think that's enough to keep the horse population here during the winter with all the opportunities abroad? I, I still don't think that that's enough, um, considering... The, the wealth of opportunities, the number of different opportunities, well, and also the, the, the opportunity to sell as well it, as yeah, race. It, it, it's, more, it's more about disincentivizing people to, to, to trade out 
fairly cheap horses. Well, yes, exactly. and to keep fairly cheap horses going through the winter for reasonable for reasonable reward and the opportunity of landing on one of these big bonuses and it suddenly makes it a bit more attractive than than shifting your horse on for 15 20 25 grand to make up the numbers elsewhere but well, i think that the latter probably uh, offers more appeal you know i think in 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 order to sustain the sport and in order to sustain quality racing or horses of a certain quality through the winter um i i, I don't know whether the the current trend is is we were able to turn the current trend around with the bonus scheme. I, I, personally, I, I don't think that's going to change it very much. That's my opinion. All right, Hong Kong is Tuesday this week, so let's head to the croc and happy valley. Nick, I know what you're thinking. It's happened to all of us at least once in our life. You know, sitting in the dentist's waiting room and then suddenly discovering you've got the wrong day or arriving for a birthday party and finding you don't recognise anybody in the chosen restaurant. Yes, turning up a day early for an event or appointment, it happens. But if you think I've got it wrong with Happy Valley this week, you are wrong. They do race at Happy Valley today, Tuesday. Yes, and it's all because this Friday, the 1st of July, is Reunification Day in Hong Kong. It celebrates Britain handing back Hong Kong to China back in 1997. So it's the 25th anniversary. As you might expect, there's also a race meeting at Sha Tin on Friday to mark the occasion. But in the meantime, let's focus on today's eight-race card at Happy Valley. When we'll see the two big names in the jockey's room, Zach Purton and Joe Moreira, square up to each other in one of the final rounds in their ongoing fight to win the jockey's championship. It's quite incredible that after 82 race days in the current season, only two wins separate these two megastars. Zach leads the Magic Man 129 to 127, with only six more meetings to go. Each has won four Hong Kong jockeys' titles. They know what's required. This is developing into a real slugfest that's capturing the public's interest in Hong Kong. Just what's needed as punters and participants wearily look forward to the end of what has been a very long and tough season. As you would expect, they both have good mounts today. I fancy Purton to win the last race on his best ride. Gorgeous Vitality, an Aussie import who's looking to make it a hat-trick of wins. He should do this despite going up a hefty £12 in the handicap. So race eight, number six, Gorgeous Vitality. Back him to win and take him in multiples with number five, Equiletta Blitz and three, Super M. A tote swinger is recommended. As for Marrera, I suggest you back him to win race five on lightly weighted number 10, Sunny Delight who's a 15-start maiden, but who turned in a very promising effort when second-last start. I reckon he's ready to break through this time. One e-legend, Purton's mount in the same race, is the danger. As I say, they're going at it toe-to-toe. That's all this week on the Hong Kong Beat. I'll have more for you next week. Well, it is Tuesday, so we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. I'm very pleased to welcome Imad Al-Sagar, to the show. Imad has been a, a very successful racehorse owner for a very long time. His most celebrated success with authorised under Frankie Dottori in the 2007 derby in those famous uh, green colours. In more recent years, he's also proven to be something of a success as a breeder, courtesy of his uh, Blue Diamond stud. And Nashua 
is his current flag bearer, winner of the Prix de Diane at Chanty just a few days ago. His burgeoning association with Holly Doyle has also hit the headlines as she goes from strength to strength. Uh, and Imad joins me now. Imad, what a year it's been. It must be a culmination of, of so many hopes and dreams for you in many respects. Uh, yes, Nick, absolutely. And this is a very special year. Uh, I won uh, two classics before with Arafa uh, in 2006, in the uh, Irish 2000 Guinness, and with authorized to uh, 2007. But this is does have a different taste because it's the first homebred to win a classic. As we know, it's one thing to spend money and own horses and have fun. It's another thing to really invest yourself emotionally as well as financially in, in, in a project like this and, and to breed them. Where did the interest in, in, in breeding come from and, and why did you decide to, to go in this direction? Uh, simply because uh, I started breeding in 2007 and the quality of horses that uh, I want buy are very very expensive and you are going head to head with the uh, with the top uh, resource owners so uh, it was uh, commercially viable first of all to breed huh? from the studies that I want uh, so we started breeding in 2007 and I've done many mistakes the first few years, which I learned uh, from them. And uh, in the last five, six years, I have we have noticed the quality of our crop was on the rise. You've built up a, a very experienced team of people to, to go with that. How, how important is, is it to have people that you, you like and you trust around you when you're, when you're entering into an enterprise like this? Yes, I went through a major restructuring for Blue Diamond, which I think deserves top-notch people uh, that uh, that uh, were uh, among them. Uh, Ted Vaught was assigned as a CEO for Blue Diamond. Uh, Ted have extensive experience under his belt, and uh, and uh, we're doing great since he have joined. Uh, Lord uh, Teddy Grimthorpe, he's now uh, my racing manager. Uh, uh, Ted needs no introduction in the racing world. Uh, we have appointed uh, Jerry Meehan as a yearling manager because we are starting now to consign our horses and we are getting into commercialism. Uh, and our uh, uh, mayor's manager, Andrew Rowling, who have uh, extensive experience in, in mares and he's been with us for 11 years so in a nutshell I'm surrounded and then Nancy Sexton uh, blood, uh, my bloodstock advisor and marketing and media so I'm uh, lucky to have good people around me which our organization is in need for I know you're fascinated in, in trying to foster new bloodlines and try and incorporate uh, different strands of, of blood into your families. Just tell me a little bit about what you're trying to achieve at the moment. Well, Nick, I have 40 mares uh, at Blue Diamond, and I think uh, this is a, a bit on the high side. 
Uh, I'm not interested in, in quantity. I'm looking for quality. And uh, my long-term strategy is to diversify our uh, bloodlines. Uh, for example, I'm looking what is left from Roberto line. I'm looking uh, what is left of uh, sharpen up uh, lines such as uh, Sunday Silence, Deep Impact, that uh, that complements uh, uh, that complements uh, and good outcross for uh, for the stallions that are appealing to us. Is that so? You have more options. Is it so you strengthen your breed? What's the what's the science behind that? Both. It combines both. Uh, uh, in the recent years, inbreeding uh, well, uh, becoming very, very attractive to breeders. But uh, uh, inbre- too much inbreeding, I think, it's not a good thing in the long term. And that's why I'm looking to uh, uh, to diversify the bloodline uh, that we have in our uh, broodmare band. It's not just broodmares, though, is it, Imad? You, you've also put your weight behind a horse that won a Group 1 race for you in, in Decorated Knight as a stallion. H- how hopeful are you that he can, he can still make the grade? Well, uh, as we speak, Decorated the last three weeks is on fire. He had uh, more than six winners in the last three days. Uh, yesterday, a uh, filly uh, at Windsor can gesture uh, have won in, in a very impressive way uh, by 10 length before two days uh, Philly trained by Mark Johnston Ferrari Queen won a seven uh, a two years old on debut she won by six length uh, uh, decorated night uh, is a middle uh, distance horse we know that uh, uh, as a two years old, middle distance horse is not very strong but as a three now he's starting to fire back and uh, we hope uh, in the coming period we will see some uh, proper black type uh, in waiting such as uh, Khan Gesture and Ferrari Queen. And I know he's covered the dam of, of, of Nashwire as well so that's uh, all wrapped up very nicely for you. As for Nashua herself this really is a a, a, a a pivotal moment for you, not not just you, but also your association with with Holly Doyle. Take me back to when it was you decided to to retain Holly, and and why. Uh, the reason why uh, Nick, I suffered previously uh, from inconsistent rides from different jockeys. And that have not only uh, losing uh, races, but it affects, I'm a breeder. For any mistake in such things, it will uh, affect the families that I have uh, negatively. So uh, I decided in principle to retain a jockey. And uh, from following up different uh, jockeys, I was very much impressed. Huh? with Holly, the way she rides, the way she positions the horse. Uh, and she ticked all the boxes that I need. And I consulted all my trainers who were very positive. And I, luckily, we made the association and turned to be a very successful one. 
a wonderful association uh, and Nashua's victory in the in the Prix de Diane. You've had many great days. Uh, how would you how would you rate that day in your in your time as an owner? It's a very special day. Uh, it's uh, speechless how to describe the feeling because as a breeder I have waited a long long time to have uh, with a, a, a unique a unique filly such as Nashua. Uh, and uh, it was a very, very special day, and I cannot also have to give credit for uh, uh, John Gosden, who made an excellent job preparing her. And Holly, Holly uh, gave her just the right right. Would she have ju- judged the pay, the base with the tremendous gauge? Uh, and I think without uh, uh, the way she have ridden Nashua, uh, probably she wouldn't win. But she have just uh, gauged the pace in a very, very uh, tolerant way. And if you had an ambition, a great ambition for this filly between between now and the end of the season, she's won a classic, so perhaps I'm being greedy on your behalf, but if you had one great ambition for her remaining, what, what might that be? Uh, we have many options, uh, Nick. Uh, we are going, if all is okay, next step uh, is the Nassau Stakes at Goodwood Festival, mile and a quarter. Uh, there is uh, the uh, uh, Prix de Opera Arc Day is one of our targets and maybe the Breeders' Cup at the end of the season. Imad, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, it's been most enlightening. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much, Nick. All the best. Well, my sincere thanks to uh, Imad al Sagar there and to, to Weatherbees. And Rishi Passat is still with me and has a tip for you for today. I'm going to have a swing at one at Brighton, Lucky. Um, it's a horse that I've backed quite a bit on the all-weather. He's never won on the turf, but I'm going to give it a shot because it's not that strong a race. The 4.45 at Brighton, so unique for Luke Catton and Stuart Williams. Fingers crossed. A thing of beauty. And didn't your, one of your rogue horses run well again, Rogue Millennium? Uh, rogue Millennium ran really well uh, in the hoppings at Newcastle on the weekend. And Rogue Lightning made a sparkling debut at Newmarket last Thursday. And who um, is going to win Wimbledon? And who are you going to be interviewing on Centre Court? Uh, it, this might sound ridiculous. And do not just say to me, because as you know, I come from the Caribbean. I have a slightly more neutral view on things. But I don't think it's the most ridiculous thing to say that Andy Murray and Emma Raducanu might go deep in this Wimbledon tournament. Ooh. Very, very deep. Oh, a British double. Possibly, possibly. Uh, Djokovic wasn't at his best. Obviously, he is, he is a master at Wimbledon. Um, but it's possible that Andy Murray might have a shot at the title. Uh, and uh, Emma Raducanu, given how well she played at Wimbledon last year, the fact that she is a, a Grand Slam champion, and she seemed really comfortable on centre court uh, yesterday. There's, yeah, I... I think it, we could we could have quite a memorable Wimbledon for for the Brits. 
have a great time. Uh, we'll be watching you as always, enjoying all your insight and interviews on the BBC over the next couple of weeks. But you still, you still make the NLD podcast your number one priority. Well, the reason why, Lucky, it's a, it's a one-off. Because as many, many in the sport will know, today it's your birthday. <laughs> Happy yeah. birthday. I, thank you very much. I've, um, I've started to turn the clock back. So <laughs> it's really feels, it feels really good to be 34 again. Well, thank you, Peter Pan. Uh, I know how that feels. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Happy birthday, s- Lucky. Thank you, mate. We'll see you again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, June the 28th. To get the date right today anyway. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.